the birthplace of the Bohemian Revolution from Cowork 591 Studios. This is the Steve Brown Art Center Podcast Network with producer Blake Tempest. I'm Jim Gillespie. Co-host Dale Reber is on assignment down in Johnston tonight. And this is the Jessup News for February 19th, 2024. Please talk to your friends about clicking... Um, and following and rating us as well on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you are are uh, following us each week. We want to thank Taylor Nitz last week from K-Way Radio. He's got our numbers way up, Blake. Um, our, our numbers the first two days are double what they normally are for I don't know if you looked at that or not. Yeah, yeah, they are way up. And a lot of that is because of Taylor. So thank you, Taylor. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about a doctor named Arthur. We're going to talk about the winners and losers as usual. We're going to talk about the challenge of making a docuseries that we're trying to make. We're going to visit the 1988 state girls basketball champions from... Down Highway 20, Dyke, not Dyke, New Hartford. It was Dyke still in 1988. We have library news and weekly updates for the Steve Brown Arts Center. And we look the Steve Brown Arts Center and coming weeks on the podcast. The Steve Brown Arts Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that has a vision for artists, young and old alike, to have the opportunity to better themselves while helping to build the skills of those around them. The long-range vision is to house a rural artist residency program for professionals and emerging artists in all areas of the arts and the humanities. Artists will be offered accommodations and studio space in exchange for a contribution of labor and maintenance of the buildings and the grounds around them. So, Blake, we're going to start first tonight with the story of a doctor. Doctor, his first name was Arthur. And Arthur graduated medical school, and he decided to go to program on the lungs. It was in German. The program was in Germany. And about three, it was it was a two week, two week convention. And about three days in, he realized he didn't want anything to do with the lungs. And so, he decided he wanted to go visit Switzerland. So he went up, and when he arrived there, there was a program on the eyes, and he liked. He liked being an optometrist. So he went back to London, opened an office. And for the first day, nobody came into his office. And he went home to his wife and he said, Dear, no one came in today. And he had, his wife asked him, Do you have your sign in a presentable place so they know you are an eye doctor, and that they can come to you. And so when he went to work the next day, he looked, and his his uh, sign was very clear. And it happened to be in a very prominent area of, and he thought he was going to get rich in this area. He went, 
he went about a month and very few people came into his office and he realized he wasn't going to be very successful. But during this time, he wrote for about six hours a day every day because there was no one there and he was by himself in the office. He hadn't hired a nurse or a person to, to be at the desk. He became a pretty good writer. Well, Blake, do you know who that doctor was? That doctor was Dr. Arthur Conan Doyle. He was the author, the famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. He wrote all the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Borrowed that story from Paul Harvey's Now You Know the Rest of the Story. Dr. Arthur was Arthur Conan Doyle. So a rather interesting gentleman. Tonight, tonight's sponsors are Cowork 591 at 591 Young Street here in Jessup, Bobby Leach, and Farm Bureau Financial Services in Independence and Jessup, Jacobson Fabrication and Repair, located just south of Jessup here, Zach Knudsen at Innovative Wealth Management in Jessup, Derek's Repair Shop, LLC, um, a supporter for the three years that, or the two and a half years that the Art Center has been open. M&M Bakery in Lawrence, Kansas. Reyes Concrete in Littleton. And the Littleton Diner. Both of those and others are sponsors also of Watermelon Day, July 27th in Littleton. So thanks, as always, to our sponsors. The winners and losers this week, Blake, are the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, winning the Super Bowl in, in dramatic fashion in overtime this past Sunday. Blake, I overate and had to go on my diet again. Um, I, I, I had gained, I, I had gained, and it wasn't all on Sunday that I, that I gained it back, but I, I was up 10 pounds again. And so I started my diet again on Monday after, after overeating pizza and wings and everything else on Super Bowl. Did you watch Super Bowl, Blake? I did not, no. Uh, you probably a smart man, although it was a great game. So the Chiefs were my winners for the week. The loser was a Kansas City Chief, Travis Kelsey. We all know him, the man that is dating Taylor Swift right now. Um, Travis Kelsey bumped the coach during the game. He was a little disappointed about how things were going, and so he bumped Andy Reid. There wasn't anything made of it during the during the game, but it's been all over the sports networks for the last three days now. So he is my loser for the week, Travis Kelsey. This is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network. And we're here tonight, producer Blake Tempest. I'm Jim Gillespie. Dale's out on assignment down in Johnston. He sends word that the Robins are flying around in Johnston. 
and the tulips are blooming. I hope he brings some other other um, interesting facts when he comes back next week. We have next week uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lang, the former music teachers from Independence, as our guests. I'm excited to have them in. They are they are big into the music scene in Independence and in Iowa. The very successful music teachers in Independence. And I'm excited to have them on. The uh, Art Center has is working toward doing a docu-series. And I'll tell you about that docu-series a little bit. Dale talked about the press release last week. Um, we are going to do a documentary about a, a team in Bensonville, Illinois. It is in the suburb of Chicago. It's the same suburb suburb where O'Hare Airport is. And they run the Grinnell System. The Grinnell System is rather unique. It is one of the most enjoyable things I've ever been around as far as a basketball coach. And my last years as coach, I, pre- I presented that and also helped coaches like former Dungerton coach uh, Virgil Hovden and former Gladbrook Ryanbeck coach Bruce Bailey run it with their program. It is a beautiful game to watch. Those of you get a chance, um, Grinnell, Grinnell men are, are leading the, that conference right now. And also, the women play. That conference is unique. The men play first at, at 5.30, and the women play at 7.30. The women in Grinnell are coached by former Jessup player and Jessup graduate Dana Kester. Her, her uh, married name is Dana Harold. You get a chance, check out, check out the Grinnell team. Anyhow, we are, we are working to get a producer right now. We're uh, meeting tomorrow with, with a documentarian um, from from the Waterloo Cedar Falls area. Um, we are working to raise the money right now as we speak to do this. It is it is a fairly expensive event, and so we are looking for people that would like to invest in that. Um, if you're interested, don't be afraid to call or contact me, and I will share the cost of this of this. Uh, docu-series we we are going to try to sell it to hulu netflix something like that so it, it is it is a fairly expensive that is as, as we go i've i've reached out to paul yeager down at iowa public television he's been he's been guiding me I've talked to Freddie Richards, former Jessup graduate, who also um, is has been very prominent in advertising. I've talked to I've talked to Nate Clayberg. He is he has been pursuing uh, producers for me as well, and so hopefully our goal is to start the docu series when school starts in September of this year. Uh, it's a great challenge. Um, we, we've talked to Fenton 
in Bensonville, and and their administration has okayed it. The coach has okayed it. The parents and the students have okayed it. So, so I'm excited about that, and I'd like to do a shout out to the Fenton team right now as we as we record. This is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network. Last week, one of my losers, or my loser, was the Sports Illustrated, because Sports Illustrated is closing. It's down, it laid off 4,000 workers and is shutting down. Well, I talked about how Sports Illustrated was the magazine of sports back as I grew up, and it that lasted into the 2000s, actually. And in 1988, as we as we talk about as we talked about girls basketball and boys basketball last week with Taylor, um, in 1988, Sports Illustrated did a story on Dyke High School when they qualified for the girls' state tournament. And if you, if uh, those of you that don't know, Dyke was not ranked when they qualified that year. Those of you listening at Dyke, I'd like to say hi. Say hi to Coach Dow. Coach, Coach Dow is the Dyke New Hartford coach now, and they are working um, for their fourth state championship in a row as Dyke New Hartford girls basketball this year. They beat South Winneshiek last night handily. Excuse me, not South Winneshiek. They oh they they won handily. They they would have played South Winneshiek. AP beat South Winneshiek. Now AP plays Jessup on Friday night at Ablington Parkersburg. But anyhow, Coach Dow's working for his his fourth state championship in a row. And for those of you basketball fans, that's a big deal in Iowa. And, and the girls' state tournament is a big deal in Iowa. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit. This article was t- titled, The Iowa Girl Stands Tall. It was written February 13th. 1989, it was in Sports Illustrated. Dyke at the time had a population of 855 people. They were coached by a a bulldog of a man by the name of Tom Murr. Tom was a neat guy. He, he taught at Waterloo East, and then he coached girls basketball at Dyke. They qualified in 1988, and he they were 25-2 going into the state tournament. 27 games, but they were on rank. There were teams that were undefeated going into the state tournament. Teams like Moravia and North Polk. Um, so so um, basketball was huge. And the, and the the tournament at the time was played in Veterans Memorial Auditorium in Des Moines. Now it's played at Wells Fargo. Um, Wells Fargo is, although it's been around a while now, 
Wells Fargo is way newer, way more newer than Veterans Auditorium was. But Veterans was quite the place. Um, huge building made of brick. They had a state map that lit up where all the teams were from, and 16 teams qualified. But it was it was uh, they they were represented by. A young lady that was six foot two, a junior by the name of Darcy Graves, quite the athlete. And then she had a running mate by the name of Dawn Meester that was five foot six. And they had been friends growing up. They they ran around together. Their their parents enjoyed them together. They they were next door neighbors, although they were a mile apart in the country. And Dyke then, like now, state champion volleyball for three years in a row. And and Meester was an incredible volleyball player on that team. A little bit bit about girls basketball in Iowa before I go on with the story here. Girls basketball in Iowa was noted, started in the the early 20s, about 19... Oh, 23, a young lady named Agnes Martin of Dubuque was written about. She had six points, and the Dubuque paper wrote her up and talked about her thrilling thrilling moves as she scored three times in their victory. The small town teams played on in a lot of buildings, and the city... The city teams played inside of buildings on wood floors. In 1925, they, they, there was a panic among the city, the, the city um, administrators because the small town teams were much better than the city schools. And so in order to stop that, decided to end girls basketball in Iowa. There was a big uproar about that. And so in 1926, the Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union started. And it has been the only girls union in in our nation. The, the other 49 states only have one union. And a lot, a lot of people have complained about Iowa having two unions, they say, oh, it's not necessary. But basketball made the Iowa Girls High School Athletic Union preeminent in in our in our country. As a matter of fact, for years it bankrolled the girls' union. Um, we're we're blessed to have a Jessup man that that does that that hosts the girls union state tournament every year on Nash, or on Iowa Public Radio um Paul Yeager and he he realizes that history and does a nice job of of giving that history every year and we want uh, Paul's a listener and we want to thank him for doing that Paul is is a person that understands that 1955, and everybody gets excited about the crowds that are following Caitlin Phillips today. But in 1955, 
the championship game, Girls State Tournament, had 13,666 people at the game. That was back in 1955, ladies and gentlemen. Women's basketball and girls' basketball in our state has been a big deal for a lot of years. We've had people like uh, Machine Gun Molly Boland, um, Denise Long from Union Witten, Lorenzen from Ventura. During the, during those days, it was it was called six on six in Iowa. A lot of people wanted to call it three on three outside of Iowa because three guards would be in one court and three forwards would be in the other court, and the three guards couldn't shoot. Players could only take two dribbles. They could only hold the ball for three seconds. If they dribbled, then they had another three seconds to hold the ball, but they could only take two dribbles. And as I said, they had the the platoon system. Then they also had hoopla, thanks to a man named Frosty Mitchell. Excuse me, not Frosty Mitchell, E. Wayne Cooley. Frosty Mitchell was the man that did what Paul Yeager does now, except Paul doesn't call the championship games like like Frosty Mitchell did. E. Wayne Cooley realized that it was Christmas in Des Moines when the Girls' State Union came. And so he found a way to bring crowds to the, to the tournament. He would, say, have the Jessup Band come and play the national anthem for, for, to start a, a day. Or the Independence Chorus would come. Then they would have the March of Champions on Friday night where the champions of all the sports in the girls' union for the last year would come. And they would, they would march. And all these people's parents would come and watch them. E. Wayne Cooley was an incredible salesman. And, and E. Wayne owned stock in, in the Chicago Cubs as well. He was wonderful. He was sort of the P.T. Barnum of the girls' high school athletic union and did a nice job of selling it. Well, in 1984, in Iowa, a lawsuit took place. Some girls wanted to play the five-on-five game. They felt that they had the skills to do it, and Wayne knew he couldn't stop it, that it was going to take place, and to his credit, he didn't try to stop it. And so they had... Two state tournaments, and in 1988, there were 80, right around 85, 86 teams playing five on five, and then right around 350 teams still playing six on six. He he let them in. The six on six was his love. He, he loved the six on six game. The first couple of years, and I'm not attacking. I'm not attacking Mr. Mr. Cooley as I tell you this. It it was not a pretty game, the five-on-five game, and the union did a better job of supporting the six-on-six game, and I'm not attacking the union either. Um, More people were doing it. They had to to put more money into the six-on-six game. They had some incredible events. For example, when... They they had the famous Denise Long. Denise Long scored 111 points one night, 
and she averaged in the state tournament one year 70.5 points a game. There, if you ever go to Union, Iowa, there, there's a park named in Denise Long's honor. In, 19, in the 1987 titled game, Lynn Lorenzen from Ventura was the hero, and she averaged 62.4 points a game her that senior year. So the six-on-six six game was a beautiful game. Um, an example of the guards, the guards would, or the forwards would foul in the guard end. You could choose who you wanted to shoot a free throw in the forward end. I always used to irritate the boys, basketball players, because for years the the girls' basketball players were better free throw shooters in our state. Now I never told them that fewer fewer people were were shooting free throws than they are or than than the boys were. Everybody was shooting free throws for the boys, but not all girls were shooting free throws. Well, March 8th, 1988, with an enrollment, you dyke people, here you go, here's your enrollment in 1988. Um, Superintendent Stockdale, if you listen to this, um, check this out if you can find this. Um, It says the enrollment of dyke was 137 students in high school. Darcy and Dawn, Darcy Graves and Dawn... And Don were juniors that year. Dyke had won his fourth state volleyball championship. Don Meester was a fifth-generation farmer's child um, from the area. Her her father, her brothers. She had she had brothers who who were not athletes. Um, by the way, her her father drove the school bus for the basketball team. So to Sounds Hoosier-like, doesn't it? Graves, Darcy Graves' dad, was a carpenter. But he had diabetes real bad. And he was partially blind. He always told, he always told people he could see the numbers on the back of, of the players. But he knew if the ball went in by the roar of the crowd. They, they, were, they were the stars. They played for the first, in the first round, they played Humboldt. And they beat Humboldt by 13 points. To, that was, that was the, the first round of the tournament. And then they, they made it to the quarterfinals. And in the quarterfinals, they played Moravia and ended up beating Moravia by three points. Then in the semifinals, they were to play Buffalo Center, and Buffalo Centers had a lady named Chisel that was an incredible player. Wanda, and I'd be interested in talking and speaking to Wanda, but Wanda got a virus and ended up not being able to play, so Dyke won that game, won the semifinal game 78-57, to and so they beat Buffalo Center in the semifinals. And so they would play for the championship. A town, and remember, Dyke had less than 800 or less than 900 people in their town. 
the the area that Southeast Polk encompassed had 10,000 people in their area. And their enrollment was 855 people in high school. Remember, Dyke had 137 in high school. Remember, and, and before you people in Dyke, New Hartford get mad at me, this was before Dyke and New Hartford um, got together. So it was still only Dyke. And so it was Dyke versus Southeast Polk for the six-on-six state championship. And Terry Branstad was a young governor. Senator Grassley was at the game. Um, Senator Grassley had been in office even four years by then already. And remember that Senator Grassley was from that area as well. I believe Senator Grassley's farm is in or close to New Hartford now. But I'm sure he had votes, voters in Dyke as well. As they played Southeast Polk, they talked about, before they went on the floor, they talked about who they were playing for. They were playing for their families. They were playing for Dyke. They were playing for school. Tom... Um, talked about he was playing for a truck driver a truck driving friend that that had hired him for his first job before he was a teacher and a man had given him a belt buckle hummer was the man's name and he said you know that he he wanted he wanted to he wanted to win the game for buck hummer and tom by this time had been wearing the same coat. It was a lucky coat and hadn't washed it for a month because they were on a 12-game winning streak. Um, it'd be interesting, those of you that are listening from Dyke, if you could let me know who were the two teams that beat Dyke. Southeast Polk was coached by fa- famous coach Roy Svensson. Excuse me, Ray Svensson. Ray was very famous in the six-on-six game. You go back... During the time there were there were there were great coaches in the six on six game. Daryl Severson over at Starmont, Otis Roby up in Sumner, um, Wayne Kramer here at Jessup. You, you had Bud McCray down down in uh, Pandora or Panorama, excuse me. There were some great six on six coaches. Anyhow, um, it, it was a it was a great battle. Defeated Southeast Polk. 86 to 73. The the little town beat the big city, which would have upset the uh, guys back in 1925, I'm sure. They stayed the night in Des Moines, got up and went to church the next day, then drove back and about just outside of Rhinebeck, between Grundy and Rhinebeck there, they were met by fire trucks and ambulances and police officers in a caravan. That caravan led them back to Dyke for a celebration. The, the reason I go into such great detail was there was a 10-page article in Sports Illustrated about this little high school team from Dyke, Iowa. And I want to thank... Dyke New Hartford coach Bruce Dahl, who, who is a, a sports memorabilia collector, who sent me that article and allowed me, allowed me to go over that. I had read that before, and I remember that article 
And I remember Tom Murr, and I remember Meester and Graves, and and that group, um, like it was yesterday. Six on six was such a beautiful game. This is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network. I'm with Blake, producer Blake Tempest. In just of library news, the Little Tot Storytime meets every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. for song, stories, and more. The Spice Club, this February, is Star Anise. Pick up sample and recipe and try it at the Jessup Public Library. Exercise with friends at the Jessup Public Library every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 o'clock for about 45 to 60 minutes. Remember, every Wednesday is STEM Wednesday. Uh, not every Wednesday, excuse me. Uh, the ISU Extension and Outreach invite kids ages kindergarten to fourth grade to enjoy an afternoon of STEM activities Wednesday, um, every or one Wednesday a month. Don't forget books and brews. The book club, which meets today as this podcast comes out. Remember today also the Monday, um, February nineteenth. The library will be closing at four thirty for in services. Meet a local author Thursday, February twenty second at six thirty. As Blackhawk County Sheriff Tony Thompson, Dale talked about Tony Thompson, author of a recently released book, Any Place But Here, The Uncomfortable Confluence Between Mental Illness and the Criminal Justice System. Sheriff Thompson will discuss his book and have copies for sale. There will be a seed swap Saturday, February 24th at 10 o'clock in the Jessup Library. Up to five free seed packets are offered to every adult and two per child. Join us for a fun morning. Moving Monday, February 26th, the Miracle Club will, will be played at 1 p.m. There's an Adventure Pass program. Check out a pass to the Blank Park Zoo, the Grout Museum, and the Quad Cities Fun Bundle for free. 18 years old with valid Jessup Public Library card. Um, one every 365 days. This is Steve Brown, Art Center Podcast Network. I had a letter the editor sent in to me by Niall McMartin. Um, it was actually a letter written by Norm West. Norm lives north of Littleton. And he, he sent this letter, Chad Ingalls, who's our state representative in our area, Shared with Chad, with Representative Ingalls, this. Norm, if you're listening, thank you for allowing us to share this letter. Niall, thank you for sending it in. Hi, Chad. Sorry to pester, but I'm opposed to a bill that has advanced out of the subcommittee for consideration by the full committee. House Study Bill 587 would require public school students to sing the Star Spangled Banner each day. It would also require students to provide instruct require schools to provide instruction on the words, meaning, and history, including how to love, honor, and respect. This is just wrong on so many levels. It's pious, self-righteous, condescending, excuse me, to declare that good people must all do certain things to publicly display their purity. Boys must cut their hair short and must not grow beards. Girls must wear dresses and no makeup. Everyone should wear wear a flag pin. Show solemn respect for right leaders and 
and contempt for the other party. As sung in South Pacific, you've got to be taught before it's too late, before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all people. But the Star Spangled Banner comes with a whole set of other wrongs. It's hard to sing and needs the vocal range of Julie Andrews. It always has been controversial. People act like it was ordained in the U.S. Constitution and in the Bible, but it wasn't adopted as a national anthem until 117 years after it was written, and the selection was extremely contentious. The worst part to me is it has always had strong racial undertones, especially the third verse. No refugee could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. This was a reference to escaped slaves who joined the British Army to fight against the U.S. Francis Scott Key was a wealthy slave owner. He was later appointed district attorney for Washington, D.C. by President Andrew Jackson. In that capacity, he vigorously prosecuted cases against slaves, especially any that tried to escape. He went after anti-slavery newspapers. After race riots swept the city in 1835, he strongly sought the death penalty for young black men accused of attempted murder, even after doubts arose about the man's guilt. He convinced President Jackson to appoint his brother-in-law, Roger Taney, to the cabinet and then to the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Taney was perhaps the most starkly racist Supreme Court Justice of his time period, and maybe of all time, an author of the Dred Scott Opinion, which is often described as the worst decision in U.S. history. During the Civil War, sides considered adopting the Star-Spangled Banner. If the North were to use it, Oliver Wendell Holmes proposed adding a new verse invoking the millions unchained who our birthright have gained. The South, of course, opposed any such change. When it was finally adopted as our national anthem in 1931, supporters celebrated with a parade in Baltimore led by two color guards. One was with the American flag and one was with the Confederate flag. When the Union Army veterans saw the Confederate flag, they abandoned the parade. A woman who was a, a Confederate sympathizer condemned them for being an un-American and divisive. Sounds just like today. One Google click can review numerous websites describing the racial controversies of the Star-Spangled Banner. And Norm includes a link, theintercept.com. Proof of the U.S. National Anthem has always been tainted with racism. As always, thank you for your service and listening to your constituents. I'll try not to pester you constantly, but I'm so distraught with, with what's happening in Iowa and much of America that it's hard to be quiet. Maybe it's better to speak out than to give up and jump off a bridge. Norm West, Fairbank, Iowa. It is. You get a chance, look at all the verses of the National Anthem, and you'll see that Norm sees things pretty clear in that. Upcoming events. Um, this past weekend we had a showing of Kenny Mealhouse art at Winding Creek Meadow. It was it was a great event, and Kenny Kenny was so eclectic. I enjoyed talking with Kenny and showing his art. 
The Steve Brown Arts Center, along with the Sanity Room, is hosting the Irish Blue Drifters Trio from the Twin Cities. They will be playing at the Sanity Room. I think I might be telling uh, top secret information here, but there will be a St. Patrick's Day parade this year in Independence. Stand by for more news on that. April 14th, there will be an artist at the Littleton Chatham Historical Society Pancake Breakfast. That will be a mystery artist that I'm going to keep back, um, but you will enjoy their art. It, it is it's beautiful, and, and um, you, you will see that the arts are in that family. If you'd like to donate to the Steve Brown Arts Center or have an idea for an event, go to the stevebrownartcenter.org and follow the link. If you have news or would like to sponsor us, email us at jim at stevebrownartcenter.org or call 319-290-0241 and leave a message. Thanks, Blake Tempest, for everything tonight. I'm Jim Gillespie. Look forward to having Dale back next week. Thanks to Kelly Cias, as always, at Cowork 591 Studios. Thanks to the audience for bringing these stray dogs into your day every week. Don't be afraid to share us with your friends. Remember, each day is about little victories.